As a quick review, I, I put a slide up here. <coughs> and uh, studying the book of Judges, the pattern uh, of the cycle that the nation has gone through. And keep in mind, this is only about 400 years. Um, if you, again, go back to even the beginning, with, uh, the nation of Israel has not been a very good example of um, godly people. Um, they're in covenantal relationship with God, but it's God who upholds the covenant. Um, sinful man is, can't be relied upon to, to follow God's commands and statutes. And through this period of time, um, we've known that the judges would be, the people would come into um, oppression, they would cry out, they would repent, they would ask God for a deliverer, and God would raise up a judge. And in most cases, the, the judge would go to war for the people, uh, organize the people in the conflict, and, and it would be resolved. And then there would be a period of peace in the land, a turning back to God, and then the cycle would start all over again. I said last week, uh, we're into new beginnings with Samson, because the cycle isn't going to be exactly the same. Samson begins um, the change, um, begins to relieve the oppression, but it isn't concluded during his lifetime. And so that's a little bit different than uh, previous judges. Now, if you look at that graphic, you could draw two big conclusions, I think. Uh, number one, God's people, including ourselves, are sinful people. We tend to reject God. We tend to follow after idols. And we tend to... Uh, try to do things on our own, and then when we get in and over our head, we cry out for help from, from God. The other thing you can see from this graphic, I think, is a compassionate God, a loving God, and we just sung oh, that saved by grace. It's the grace of God that he continues to hear our cries and he continues to deliver us. And so it's not just during this period of the judges, but... This is an ongoing issue with, with all of God's people, including us here. Um, any thoughts or comments on the graphic before we move on? It's part of the review. Okay. We're going to be in... Um, Judges chapter 14, if you wanted to turn there, it'll be a few minutes before we read that passage, but um, if you want to turn, Judges 14, verse 1. You could summarize the works of Samson, divide his life up into four parts. Um, so I'm going to give you kind of a preview of some of the things we're going to be talking about, and then you can uh, uh, maybe recall some of these things I've mentioned when we get to them. The four parts would call, include the involvement with Philistine women, 
They would also include uh, Samson's Nazarite vow. The third part would be the stirring up of Israel and his ministry to Israel. So those are four broad areas of his life that uh, we're going to be talking about. We'll get a little bit more specific as we go along. So all three major stories that we find in this section, these chapters about Samson, have to do with Philistine women. And even if Delilah was not a Philistine, uh, she's certainly associated and with them and uh, worked with them. Uh, So it really doesn't say one way or the other here. So at the beginning of his life, Samson offers marriage and salvation to a Philistine girl. Uh, This is a picture of how Israel should relate to the nations around them. Um, Israel should be a priest to the nations around them. Israel should preach the word to the nations around them. And as a priest, they would portray this divine husband image to the nations around them. But Israel was not doing that. Um, Instead, they were conforming their life. They were conforming and changing and compromising uh, their faith, their uh, culture to the nations around them. They were caving in to the evil around them. So we see with the marriage to this girl that Samson's early work was a positive portrayal of the gospel. But the Philistines rejected. And of course this results in dire consequences. Anytime anybody rejects uh, God's uh, grace and mercy, There's going to be dire consequences. At the end of his life, we have two stories about Samson messing around with Philistine women. Uh, And this is a negative picture showing how Israel should not relate to the nations. Um, By immersing oneself and chasing after the Philistine culture, we see Samson reflecting what happens to the entire nation. There's a sense of weakness that occurs, a sense of blindness, and eventually death, which Samson uh, emulated to the nation of Israel. So he was an object lesson to Israel at the end of his life. The second part that I mentioned before was his Nazarite vow. So Samson pictures to Israel that tremendous strength is available to them if they would be faithful to God. If they would separate themselves from uncleanliness. This is emulated again uh, in Samson's life. And they could be like Samson to some degree, if they followed his example. And they would find that if they did, that the Philistines could be quickly conquered, um, 
by holding close to God and his commandments. But if they compromised their priestly duties, they would then wind up, as Samson did, weak, blind, and um, spiritually dead anyway. And since Israel was at ease and comfortable under the generally benevolent rule of the Philistines, it was necessary for someone to stir them up to action. And this was another part of uh, Samson's life. God took the initiative here. It wasn't man. God took the initiative. Again, the grace of God is prevalent here. Um, and he used Samson to provoke a mounting series of confrontations with the Philistines. This made Israel embarrassed and fearful, and they even bound up Samson at one time and, and gave him to the Philistines. But eventually, however, Samson succeeded uh, to the point where cooperation was no longer possible. And Israel could no longer compromise their culture, their life. In other words, Samson forced Israel to act. And finally, Samson's ministry to Israel was accomplished primarily through um, wild and surprising acts. I guess God, <clears throat> Samson was God's way of expressing some form of humor uh, to the Philistines. Uh, for instance, Samson didn't look strong, but he was strong. Um, last week I mentioned the fact that humor involves the unexpected. And you might say that the gospel is a great example of, of that. For just when Satan thought he had won by nailing the Son of God to the cross, he lost. God the Father took what looked like a satanic victory and turned the tables by using the cross as a means of redemption and salvation. So we'll see similar things with Samson. Samson as well will keep doing some funny things that turn out to turn the tables against the Philistines. So needless to say, there's nothing routine about the things that Samson did. Because of the character of his acts and what he did, um, those actions would be talked about everywhere in the land. And this would help stir Israel up because they had been neglecting their duties as God's people. Not only did Samson act in surprising and unusual ways, but he did, said things um, that were also... Um, Unusual. Samson now went around making up little poems and jingles. And I'm sure at the watering holes with our camels, people were talking about what Samson said, not only what he did. Kind of reminded me, some of you can remember, 
Uh, some of you don't. Um, Cassius Clay, before he became Muhammad Ali, the world champion boxer, he would used to write little poems to intimidate his opponents too, much like Samson. Um, Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. That was uh, an example of, of um, Cassius Clay's, uh, Muhammad Ali's poetry. It's very similar to what Samson is doing here, enticing and teasing the enemy. So Samson was no dummy. He may have acted like one, but it, there was a, a method to his madness, you might say. He went around and he uh, stuck funny memorial names uh, in different places like Jawbone Hill, in uh, Matthew or Judges 15:17, or perhaps more serious names like the Collar Springs in 15:19. Uh, These were also things that would stir up the people of Israel. So he had different strategies that he was using uh, to bring about this deliverance. So that's the overview of uh, four parts of Samson's life. We're going to now delve into some details and look at the scripture as it pertains to this. Any thoughts or comments before we read the scripture? Okay, verse 1 of chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came up and told his father and mother, saying, I saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistine. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you could go and take as a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. <clears throat> However, his father and mother um, did not know that the, um, that the Lord was for him. The, <clears throat> um, that he was seeking an occasion against the Philistine. Now at the time here that the Philistines were ruling over Israel, Samson, it says, goes down to Timnah and then comes back up to his parents. So Israel has been confined to the mountainous area while the Philistines are controlling the plains down below the mountains. So we see this is Zora where Samson was and Timnah is over here. And so he goes down out of the mountains into the valley. And just about two miles from Timnah is a place called Beth Shemesh. 
And Beth Shemesh is the temple uh, for the sun god in this area. The Canaanite sun god. So remember last week I mentioned the fact that Samson's name means sun. S-U-N. He's God's true son, S-U-N, and he will be God's replacement for the false Canaanite worship of the sun god uh, so close to there. And as wise parents, uh, Samson's parents call uh, attention to the fact that uh, There's a biblical principle that believers do not marry unbelievers. And it seems to me that that's a correct thing. But we are told in verse 4 that God was guiding Samson. It was not simply the fact that God was watching over Samson and using divine providence. But it was the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, who was guiding him. So we know from Judges 13, 24 through 25, that the Spirit was guiding Samson at this time. He says in verse 3, she's right in my eyes. It could have two meanings. Uh, One meaning could be that uh, he judges that this is the right thing to do in God's plan to marry this woman. Or it may simply mean that he's attracted to her. Or it could be both, I, I could assume. Maybe God has planned to use his uh, desire for this woman to work out uh, the, the overall plan dealing with the Philistines. God had forbidden intermarriage with the Canaanites, but the Philistines were not actually Canaanites. However, they were very close kin to the Egyptians. And there was no uh, prohibition on marrying Egyptians. Generally speaking, however, God's people were certainly not to marry unbelievers. Something that we, uh, again, uh, promote in our own uh, congregation as believers. We know this causes some conflicts. Moses had married an outsider, and Aaron and, and uh, Mir- uh, Miriam were uh, complained about it back in Numbers 12. And we see intermarriage later on as well. Uriah the Hittite was married to Bathsheba. If Bathsheba was an Israelite, then this was a mixed marriage, except that Uriah became a convert. If Bathsheba was a Hittite, then David's marriage to her was a mixed marriage. Except, again, that she was a convert. So keep in mind that the Hittites were indeed a branch of the Canaanites. 
thus God's prohibit uh, of intermarriage uh, has to do a lot with the covenantal uh, sense. If a Canaanite man or woman converted uh, to uh, the Jewish faith, he or she might marry with Israel. We're not sure, but Samson's parents may not have realized that uh, this was not just a physical relationship, but a spiritual endeavor as well, with God directing Samson. An offer of marriage to a woman outside of Israel would ordinarily be a bad thing. But when it is God's anointed one who makes that offer, uh, it's an act of evangelism. God offers to incorporate the Philistines into his bride, a sign that uh, is Samson's offer of marriage to this girl. Perhaps this will be clearer as we go along, because the test put before the girl is whether or not she will put her trust in Samson, God's anointed one, the Lord's deliverer, or will she put her trust in the power of the Philistines? And her failure to trust Samson results in her des uh, destruction. And similarly, the failure of the Philistines to repent results in theirs as well. Back in verse 4, there's, there's a doubt that rises uh, here, uh, depending on the interpretation uh, of your Bible. Some of them have a capital H uh, for he, referring to God. Some have a lowercase h, he, uh, referring to Samson. Uh, was it God or Samson who was seeking an occasion against the Philistine? The Hebrew uh, language here indicates a constant, continuous seeking. Perhaps it was both. Perhaps God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines and then instilling and guiding um, Samson to do likewise. But most commentators that I consulted here assumed that Samson was blinded by lust, and have generally moved to the direction of seeing God as the one seeking an occasion. However, could it be that it was Samson who was actively seeking the occasion? Uh, up to this point, I have tried to establish the fact that Samson was being guided by the Spirit at this point. Uh, I'm, I've got a quote here from a pastor off-off, um, and he is commenting on this passage. And he says, It cannot be that he truly loved that woman, and that was some interpreters maintain, that he actually expected to find a covenant or true love and fidelity in the Philistine family. What he expected to find was hatred and infidelity, for he was seeking an occasion it is not true that he put forth his riddle in the most peaceful spirit 
and that he meant not to bring the hidden antagonism to light. He meant to do exactly that, for he sought occasion. It is not true that he did not foresee that the wedding uh, would give rise to conflict. He did foresee. It is not true that he was bent on avoiding conflict. He wanted conflict and was eager for it. If he did not want conflict and was not expecting it, if he did think to find love and fidelity in the heathen family, we would not know what to make of the man. Then certainly his exploits were solely of the flesh. But this were not, but this they were not. He wanted conflict because God had commanded him, and his obedience was the obedience of love, love for his God and love for his people. End of quote. If this is true, if it was Samson that was the one who sought the occasion with the Philistines, then I believe that Samson had this whole thing planned out. I don't think it was all off the cuff. I think he was planning this from the beginning. It's a way to stir up the people of Israel. It's a way to lead the people of Israel from their oppression. I don't think that Ophrath, Pastor Ophrath, was probably going a little bit too far when he said that Samson had no love for the young woman. I'm not sure that that's the case. If Samson's calling by God is to show the nation of Israel how to treat their neighboring nations, then Samson is at least showing compassion for the lost sinner's soul. As God's anointed one, he shows love to his enemy by the offer of salvation to Philistines as significant, uh, signified by Samson's offer of marriage to the girl. So this brings up the question, why did Samson want an occasion? Why not just start out killing the Philistines? It would certainly have been morally proper since God had raised him up as a judge and raised him up as a deliverer and the Philistines had no business in Israel's land. So the question is, why did he seek an occasion? A state of occupation where Philistines are in Israel's land it would be uh, an all outright act of war. And Samson had every right to declare the Philistines had violated their land and invaded them. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's the same argument Hamas is using today that uh, Israel is occupying their land and therefore they have the right to attack them uh, and terrorize Israel. But I think they ought to read their history a little bit more. But so why then seek an occasion? Any ideas, thoughts, comments? Yeah. 
But he was a judge. Well, I can come up with maybe two, um, two reasons. Again, there is an offer of a possible conversion of salvation made to the Philistines. Um, that <clears throat> had they accepted that gospel, the war would have ended right there. Uh, much like, if you remember, Jephthah, he shared the gospel and the messages that he sent to King Ammon. Uh, before the war started, we see that similar offer made here, I believe, uh, as uh, with the marriage of this Philistine girl. Uh, it's kind of like a, uh, arranged marriage between nations to bring peace. So it was kind of this offer uh, being made. The second thing, the reason um, Samson acted in such a way as to expose the true character of the Philistines. And he sought an occasion against them to stir Israel up. Uh, Israel was asleep in the land of Philistines. Uh, they were not all that bad according to the people of Israel and they were quite happily intermarrying with them. Um, and they had compromised their faith, compromised their culture, and most of all, they had compromised their God. So what happens to Samson is uh, designed to expose the fact that the Philistines are not trustworthy. They are oppressors. They are betrayers. They don't accept Israel as equals. And so if you try to intermarry with them, you get burned, as Samson will find out. Thus, by seeking this occasion, Samson was looking for something that would get his countrymen uh, to see what was really going on, something that would stir them up and rile them up uh, in opposition to the Philistines. When I was growing up, <clears throat> I lived a couple of blocks away from the city pool, and my friends and I had uh, swimming passes, and we could go in and take a quick dip anytime we wanted to throughout the summer. And the pool was, uh, was set up in such a way that at one end of the pool was like a wading pool. The water was only about ankle deep. And then it would progressively uh, get deeper and... Uh, until it got to the other end where it was 12 foot deep and had diving boards at that end. Uh, so reading through scripture uh, is a lot like that pool. Uh, we may be happy with just a cursory review of a passage, um, nothing too deep. On the other hand, some scripture may lend themselves to a deeper evaluation where we might find allegories, we might find symbolism, and we might find foreshadows to give us more profound understanding of what uh, could be discovered. The trick to this is not to get in over your head, nor swallow something harmful. 
So some of the following scriptural interpretations I'm going to share with you from various commentators is an attempt to bring greater understanding uh, from some of these verses. Uh, some of these commentators traveled into some deeper waters, which I'm going to share with you. I share these insights with you, not that you would totally agree with their point of view, because I don't totally agree with some of their points of view. But it does give us an incentive to go deeper into our study and to understanding of Scripture. So I'm going to cover some topics here. Um, not mine. Uh, these are some ideas that I picked up from various commentators, but uh, I'm going to throw that out there to see how uh, we might find allegories, symbolism in uh, God's word here. According to Genesis 10:14, the Philistines and Egyptians were closely related. They were blood relatives. Both of them were the descendants of Ham. Israel's captivity to the Philistine is then, theologically speaking, equal to the captivity to Egypt. Matt? The guardian of Egypt was the lion-like sphinx. Um, we see a head of a, a man and the body of a lion. And it is the lion that attacks Samson as he goes down to the Philistine territory. The Sphinx was a master of riddles as well. And in defeating the Philistines with his riddle, Samson defeats the Sphinx as well. <laughs> the Egyptian Sphinx that we see here has a head of a man that is um, a pharaoh of Egypt. It is said that the Sphinx lost his nose when Napoleon blew it off with a cannonball. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> um, but the pharaoh of Egypt um, saw himself as the son of God, S-O-N, and the god he worshipped was Ra, the sun god, S-U-N. So the uh, pharaoh sees himself as the sun, S-O-N, of the S-U-N god, Ra. Samson, whose name means sun, is the true son who defeats the false son of the lion's thanks here. So for their sins, God's people had been returned to Egypt, theologically speaking. But God was raising up a deliverer like Moses and defeating Egypt once again through Samson. Going back to verse 5. Then Samson went down to Tima with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timon, Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring towards him. And the spirit of the lion rushed upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a kid, though he had nothing in his hand. 
but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside and took uh, a look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. Best example I could find. So he scraped it from his palms and went on, uh, eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some of them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. What happens here uh, is a possible illustration or picture of the attack of the Philistines against Israel. Uh, The lion here uh, implies or uh, symbolizes strength. It often represents mighty powers that uh, attack Israel. And just as David kills the lion before uh, he goes out and kills the Philistine uh, Goliath, we see here that Samson fights a lion uh, as well before he uh, fights against the Philistines. Uh, Here we see uh, Samson killing that lion, representing the Philistines. So once the lion is dead and the battle is won, the land once again can be restored to the land of milk and honey. Part of the story. So perhaps the whole lion thing here is a little deep for you. Maybe a stretch. But the author of this narrative has made it fairly clear by the means of Hebrew literary technique called parallelism. If you're still in Judges 14, look at verse 5. And then we're going to flip over to Judges 15 and verse 14 and see the parallelism here. Uh, 14.5 says, And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a kid. Then over in chapter 15 and verse 14, it says, The Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that were burned with fire. We see here with the parallelism in both cases, there was a roar or a shout as they met Samson, and the spirit rushes upon Samson, and then Samson tears something apart. The roaring of the lion parallels the shouting of the Philistines. So recall that as Samson is coming down out of the hills and into the Philistine land, the lion is guarding the entrance to the Philistine territory. uh, And that is parallel to the sphinx that guards Egypt. So Samson's destruction of the lion symbolizes the destruction of the guardian of Egypt. And it lays open uh, the possibility of invasion by God's people to reclaim the land taken by the Philistines. 
And remember that Samson is a member of the tribe of Dan. And Deuteronomy 33.22 says of this tribe, Dan is a lion's whelp, or cub, that leaps forth from Bashan. So just as Samson is a true son to replace the false son at Beth Shemesh, so he is the true lion who defeats the false lion of the Philistines. In effect, he's a foreshadow of the very lion of God, uh, Jesus Christ. Thoughts, questions, interjections? Okay, we assume that Samson used his hands to scrape the honey out of... Then if we assume that, then we have to make the same assumption that he became unclean as part of his vow because he was touching a dead animal. But the text doesn't say this. So perhaps we ought to assume that this spirit-led man used some sort of a tool to scrape the honey into his palm. So another question arises after he's done this, why didn't he tell his parents? Uh, Because he was ashamed that he had broken his vow? Uh, There's no reason to think that he broke the vow if it doesn't indicate that in Scripture. But I believe we find out later why Samson did not tell them. Again, under the guidance of the Spirit, Samson recognized the meaning of the lion's attack as it is connected to the Philistine nation. And he planned to use it against the Philistines. In order for his riddle about the lion and the honey to be a real test for his wife, no one else might know about it. The girl alone will know, and he will know exactly who betrays him if he does, if she does in fact betray him. Verse 10. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. And it came about when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out then, I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Profound your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Back in this time period, um, the men and the women had certain roles. And if you were truly a macho man, uh, not only were you impressive uh, 
with your physical strength, but you were also a clever man. And there were contests of songs and contests of riddles, and they were just as important as contests of strength. And Salmon seeks to defeat and even convert the Philistines by words before he goes to battle against them. Who knows? Uh, if they had realized the threat implied in this riddle, that the defeat of the Philistine lion would bring sweetness to Israel, and that Israel would consume those who sought to consume them, that perhaps they might have repented of their sins if they'd realized the meaning of the, of the riddle. Also, riddles were keys. The Sphinx guarded his territory by means of a riddle. If a man could not tell the answer to the riddle, the Sphinx would kill him. The classic example comes from the story of uh, the Theban Sphinx in the Greek mythology. The riddle was this. What has four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three legs in the evening? Does anybody remember their Greek mythology? The answer to that riddle by the Sphinx? It went unanswered for many, many years, and many people died until the Greek mythology Odysseus comes along to solve the riddle. And the riddle is man. A man crawls on all fours in the early part of his life, the morning. He walks on two legs in the afternoon when he's an adult. And then he uses a walking stick, a third leg, in the evening as he, uh, of his life. So if the Philistines can solve the riddle, they will have the key to Samson's secret, and they will have power over him. And we'll see how that turns out next week. Any thoughts, questions, comments about Samson and his role? If not, Brother Ken, would you close us in prayer, please?